Okay, good evening. You're listening to Three Moves Ahead, and I'm your host, John Bolding. Joining me tonight is PC Games In Senior News Writer Ian Boudreaux. Ian, how are you today? I'm doing good, John. Glad to be here. I think we are both pretty excited and also trepidatious to discuss today's game, which is Conquest of Elysium 5. And uh, longtime listeners of Three Moves Ahead may remember a few years back we did Dominions 5, which is uh, this other game from Illwinter, uh, which is this sort of small indie duo of Swedish guys who make weird games about mythology and also pop culture at the same time and their strategy games and they just kind of take a ton of things and mash them all together ian what would you can, can you give us a description what do you think dominions 5 is what do we do in this game sorry well, uh, conquest of elysium 5 <laughs> yeah so and you have to forgive guess, my confusion because both of these games use identical sets of pixel art assets <laughs> I was just going to say, yeah, they do look incredibly similar because there's a lot of the same uh, art assets in them. But uh, but they're wildly yeah, different. They are different, uh, even if they, they, they bear some, some passing similarities. But in, in Conquest of Elysium, it's kind of a... So imagine the campaign layer in, a, in your standard Total War game where you're building armies and moving them around a map. Uh, and combine that with a roguelike like a classic roguelike. And you've sort of got the the gist, I think, of what Conquest of Elysium is. Um, and this goes back, I guess, to this was their first, like Conquest of Elysium was the first uh, game that uh, Illwinter worked on. It was for the Atari. And, uh, and I think they've just kept iterating on that idea for 30 years. So oh, they absolutely have. It looks like... There's so much in here in terms of different kinds of units and different kinds of uh, factions that you can um, you can play as. There's different ages uh, that you can start your game in uh, from you know prehistoric through um, through the like sort of a a grand empire a renaissance and then the fall of that empire and a rebuilding period. Um, and yet, I'm not. <laughs> It, it looks so deep and broad and wide. And yet on a turn by turn basis, there's not a whole lot of different things that you're doing. You're just kind of moving one or several armies around a map and kind of exploring. Yeah, it's it's the like deep as a pond, wide as an ocean type game, right? Right. There's yeah. there's and these... that's, you know, and, and just because of the look, <clears throat> excuse me. I think the look kind of made me think that there was going to be a lot of fiddly systems to, to mess with and stuff. And there's not really like you're, it's not a, it's not as complex a game as it might look from the kind of, you know, um, this de-emphasis on graphics that you would expect from like, like Dwarf Fortress or something. Yeah, absolutely. It's the sort of shocking or surprising, um, levels of detail the choices of where the detail is spent the detail in conquest of Lysium is like yeah there are six different ages that affect world generation and they make your world look wildly different when the map is created as opposed to uh the other layer of detail which is like there's i don't know 16 17 20 there's so many different little classes you can play as yeah and these all it Okay, there's all these different classes, some of which have access to planes of existence 
beyond, you know, the physical reality that we're familiar with. So that's going right. on at the same time. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so there's, there are multiple map layers in Conquest of Elysium. There's the real world of Elysium, which is, I think, uh, supposed to be a takeoff of, it, it's like an alternate reality that humans from our world somehow ended up in during various periods of history, because it seems like there are Romans sort of, right? There's sort of this like yeah. classical era Romans and Greeks. And then there's also these like Aztecs that have somehow ended up there. And then there's native fantasy creatures that live in Elysium. Um, and there's these like the bizarre conceits of the world of Elysium that add so much character to this game. Like every wild animal is a huge asshole and will try and kill you if it sees you like all the way down to rabbits. And so like oh, yeah. <laughs> there's this I've had villages invaded by deer before. Yeah, yeah you're like groups of wandering deer will pop up on the map and yeah, they'll wander into your villages and destroy it. A moose took down a city of mine once. Like we're not I'm not <laughs> joking. This is a real thing that happened. Um, yes. The moose has conquered a city again. We the moose is an extremely this. dangerous creature and will run over a front line of spearmen and kill them all. Right. Um, and the the magic, I guess, of this game is that it's just so weird and the mashup is so unexpected and surprising. But the rules are pretty simple. Uh, you don't con the, the combats are automatic. You don't control them. You send up your army against the other person's army, and it's not even so complex as their other game dominions in which you have to do things like script how you want your units to behave, choose where you want them to deploy on the battlefield. In Conquest of Elysium, they have they, they deploy in one of three ranks, their frontline units, their mid units, or their backline units, and you can choose what spells your spellcasters have access to in any given battle, but otherwise they just go to town on each other, and it's really bizarre and it's deeply entertaining to me to watch how the battles play out. I don't know if you have I the love, same experience. I don't think I've ever skipped a battle because I love watching them even in, even when they're wildly um, imbalanced. It, but it is, it's, it's very much a spectator thing. Um, so <laughs> yeah, like, like you point out, there's, there are things that you can do in dominions that kind of give you a little bit more, um, more of a chance to express or make decisions about your battlefield strategy here. It's, I don't know. It, it seems to be having, uh, it's really a matter of having more and more powerful units. Yeah, it is. There's a, you make decisions based on really simple stuff. The, the stats of your units are extremely simple. They have hit points, strength, morale, magic resistance, armor, and a rank that they go in. Right. And then their weapons will have some like special abilities and, you know, spellcasters and magic will have all kinds of weird special effects, but you're really looking at a very simple set of information when choosing uh, where and when people are, are going to act and how. Like the most complex decision you start making about things like frontline, which frontline troops you want to recruit are like, do they have decent? Do I want to trade off a point of armor for a shield? Do I want to trade off a low initiative weapon that's going to strike last, but for more damage for a high initiative weapon that's going to strike first? Like, they're really simple choices. Um, and that's good because of the absolutely wild variety of different units you can recruit in this game. So when we're looking at the classes in this game, I want to I want to bring up the proper list real quick, because I think that 
the the roguelike comparison doesn't really uh sink in for someone who's learning about this game until they get this kind of information so when you're playing this game one of the first choices you make is the era of the map you're on which affects world generation we can talk a little bit about that later but the second choice you make is what character class you're going to play as and these are the characters okay the Baron, Necromancer, Demonologist, Witch, High Priestess, Bakamono, Barbarian, Senator, Pale One, Druid, Burgmeister, Warlock, Priest King, Troll King, Enchanter, High Cultist, Dwarf Queen, Voice of El, Illusionist, Dryad Queen, Scourge Lord, Cloud Lord, and Kobold King. Every single yeah. one of those classes has some basic mechanic that is fundamentally different from every other one of those classes and its own unique way of interacting with the world. And I think, Ian, you brought up earlier, there are different realities to interact with in Conquest of Elysium. So like there's the basic world of Elysium. And then above that, there's a separate map, which is the world of the clouds, where there are solid clouds that people can walk around on. And if you have armies of entirely flying units, they can fly between them. And so sometimes you'll find these ultra high mountain peaks on Elysium where you can climb up to the top of the mountain and start walking around in the clouds. Or maybe you could buy some magic beans from a merchant and plant them and they'll grow into a giant beanstalk that you can climb to get into the clouds, which is also hysterical. I'd read about that. I've never seen the beans, uh, but um, in my last playthrough, my last game, uh, I was playing as the demonologist and I kept having kobolds coming down from the north uh, and... Sure enough, there was a uh, mountain spire uh, kind of north of one of my citadels. Um, I sent an army up there and we had a big cloud fight with a gigantic kobold or army that lived in the clouds. I don't know how they got up there. I guess they'd just gone up and established a, a settlement up there or whatever. I think, I think was, there are winged yeah. kobolds that they can recruit. So, Well, these were, yeah, maybe. I, the, any, in any case, uh, the other thing, and just as a sidebar, maybe we can talk about this later, but... Uh, there's like definitely an editorial voice uh, to all of the descriptions of these hundreds of different mu- different yeah, units. Yeah, yeah. So um, there's like an empire in the game and it's the like uh, it's the Imperial College that writes it. Um, and you, okay. you figure that out when you play as the senator, because when you play as the senator, they talk about uh, like the senatorial units as though there are guys right in the descriptions. And then. OK. And then later that does put a. As if you play as the senator and capture the capital, you can spend a bunch of money and become emperor like like you do. Um, and then they're like uh, the way they describe everything changes a little bit because they're like the senator has the emperor. The new emperor is now the benefactor of our college and we love him very much and he's the best and he pays our salaries. It's really great. <laughs> so where I noticed this was I was playing the priest king. Right. And uh, I was I was able to summon a uh, a jaguar uh, God, um, named Balaam. And so I checked out Balaam's this big four by four or a two by two square unit, right? Big Jaguar. Um, and I, I, so I looked up the, uh, the description of this unit when he showed up and, uh, it says the Balaam is a myth perpetuated by the priest Kings to cow their subjects, to believe that there are Jaguars, the size of elephants in the jungles is plain idiocy. It is a typical example of how the superstitious mind can be exploited by those in power. And then up above that, it has all of the stats for the Balaam, which there is they are. hit points, nine strength. Yeah. So meanwhile, it's just wrecking guys. 
So I, I thought like it took me a little bit for the penny to drop because like there were some descriptions of the priest king units. I was like, this seems kind of racist, <laughs> but uh, it turns out, well, no, it's the empire uh, creating these, I guess, encyclopedia entries, which it's just an interesting thing. No, so, they are. Yeah. Like all the yeah. descriptions. I love that they're all in world. And some of them are really yeah. snarky and some of them are very like, yeah, it's very just, dismissive of certain like kobolds and things are like, yeah, they or imps. I think I've summoned a bunch of imps that, you know, they're uh, like they just they're murderous and try to kill everything, even though they're terrible at it. Yeah. Uh, you know, just little editorial asides that I, I kind of enjoy. Yeah, it really adds a lot to the color of the game. It does. Yeah. And for a game with very simple graphics, right, very simple representation, it's the sort of stuff that lets you imagine and entertain yourself. And I feel like that's a lot of the appeal of the game as well as like, yeah, it's uh, we'll talk about this a little bit more, but it's very roguelike. And so sometimes you're just going to lose. And uh, it feels nice to have the entertainment, tell yourself the story of what's going on and the little bits and pieces of lore really add a lot to that. I don't know if that's your experience with this game, but I think that's a lot of why I like it. It is. Uh, I, I, I have enjoyed discovering the, um, just the different, I mean, each different, um, like you mentioned before, all the different factions are, are wildly different. Um, and, you know, figuring out how each one works and then kind of the, and role playing that a little bit has been a lot of fun. Yeah. So, and and I've also had to just kind of, um, again, kind of expecting a level of fiddliness that isn't here or, you know, systemic complexity that isn't here. I really kind of had to let go and say, this is actually just kind of a, a fun little game and I can sort of kick back and uh, I don't know. It's, it's a very, uh, it, I don't want to say relaxing, but yeah, it's, it's not, it's not super demanding and just enjoying that part of it, that the, the, uh, this kind of, this accretion of lore that's cl clearly happened over the course of the 30 years that the series has been going. Yeah. I, I mean, really I don't, entertaining. I don't think you're wrong. I actually think it is a fairly relaxing game as far as, as far as compli relatively complicated strategy games goes, because it's the kind of game where I'm perfectly happy to play it while the TV's on in the background, right? Like a show that I kind For of sure. actually care to watch, but I'm not going to sit there and watch, you know, six episodes in a row or whatever. I put that on in the background and I play this and it's a, it's a really great game for that niche. And I also think um, if you're the kind of person like me who likes to, while they travel, play a game on like their, you know, relatively low power windows tablet or whatever, this is such a yeah. great game for that. I was looking at their site and they do actually, I think Conquest of Elysium 5, there's an Android tablet version. Oh, okay. Um, and I really think I might get it because this is a perfect game for that kind of thing. Yeah, it's it's a great game for a lot of little stuff like that. Um, so we talked about uh, the world of Elysium and then there's a cloud world above. And just to sort of reinforce this real quick, there's also like, there's a cavernous world below, right? And those are the three bits of the like, if if you've got your Dungeons and Dragons terminology in your head somewhere, the material plane, like the world properly, right? But then there's also like, there's hell and there's an elemental plane of some kind. And yeah. there's an astral plane, which is filled with weird horrors from beyond space and time. And there, there are others. 
and I don't know what all of them are, which is great. Like I've been playing this for a while and I haven't visited every plane of existence because some characters don't interact with those mechanics at all. Yeah, that's what's the, it is neat to, to when you're not playing a character who does. It's cool to know that there is stuff going on beyond your perception. Um, yeah, because it, it is there is a world in the infernal dimension or whatever there's demons running around doing stuff in there. Yeah. They're, they're like, um, even if you, you never know, see them fighting over the throne of hell or what have you. Right. Yeah. And I don't, so. <laughs> I don't think I've ever seen, uh, there are lots of fantasy strategy games with relatively detailed world simulation. I don't know if I've ever played one that bothers to simulate what's happening on other planes of existence. I can't think yeah, of one. I, nothing comes to mind, which is a, which is really um, interesting. It's really cool that it does that because, you know, you summon creatures into this reality. If you're playing, especially as classes like the Infernalist or the uh, the Warlock that summons like um, Elementals or the High Cultist that summons weird Cthulhu monsters. There's a lot of that, but there's not nearly as much of. Like, yeah, where you you have a, a like an astral plane, I mean, for for I think a game that, you know, models the world in a more, you know, um, visually complex way, you run into problems pretty quick. <laughs> like, how do you, okay, well, how am I going to represent the astral plane? Like, that doesn't really, you know, an area that, that defies physics and uh, and the laws of the universe. And just putting that on a screen is going to be maybe impossible. So, but have, have you ever abstract, visited the astral plane? Yeah. No, I've never, I don't know how you do it. Uh, um, as far I'm, as I can tell, there's only I'm, a handful of ways to do it. I'm not sure how you're supposed yeah. to do it. The only way I've ever done it is I found, I once found a random weird gateway just sitting in the middle of nowhere that was functional. And I just walked through it. I was like, yeah, I'm going to send an army through this. This is a stupid plan, but I'm going to do it anyways. And that went to the astral plane. Um, uh, and then I realized that once you're in the astral plane wandering around, there might be a way to mitigate this, but, uh, Apparently, time and space have no meaning. So there are random places in the astral plane that like if you walk into it, the next turn, you'll suddenly be in a different part of the astral plane with no visible way to get back to where you were. And so you'll just have all these spots of astral plane map revealed all over the all over the place because your army was wandering through time and space, which is hysterical. Yeah, that's really funny. I had a well, speaking of funny things that can happen when you order your army around, I. Uh, um. I don't know why the game let me do this, but I, I was trying to get hurry an army back to a city that was threatened by, I don't know, some bears or something. And, uh, naturally anyway. So the path that it chose, I think it had me route around a lake, a terrain feature, just a lake. And I, I guess I wasn't thinking and I had them march through the lake and I got a message the, when the next turn popped up that, uh, 44 units have died in a lake or drowned in a lake. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Well, so guess, if it's winter and you're like, I'm going to have my guys travel across this frozen lake and then yeah. it becomes spring, the lake will thaw. <laughs> well, I, I some of this, well, this kind of uh, um, a big thing about this uh, game, and I think that really kind of sets this point up pretty well, is that you learn by doing. Um, yes, yeah, it's I the classic really roguelike thing yeah. right like if you have ever played classic roguelikes not modern roguelikes i'm talking like original rogue or net hack like ang band yeah, yeah ang band absolutely 
They have a lot of Angband. Um, so yeah, there's, I don't. Is there documentation at all? I, I looked around in the Steam folders a little bit and didn't see any. You know, they um, had they have they had fairly detailed manuals for some of their games in the past. I'm not sure that they have released one for Conquest of Elysium Five yet. Okay. Yeah, I mean, it's I I don't want to say that there isn't one, but and I didn't look all that hard because I was kind of at that point I was already kind of figuring out how things worked. But I think that's part of it is that you it's this joy of discovery, um, and that is why it's cool that there's so many different um, you know factions that you can take control of and and different eras because just finding out what those are like is really where I think I've found. Um, like <laughs> those have just been the nice, like the real bright spots of the game is just like kind of exploring this new age. Like, wow, this, this dark era, uh, or this collapse era is real dangerous. There's beholders everywhere. What's going on? So, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, maybe, <laughs> but, but bashing my head against, uh, certain things and finding out that no, it's a bad idea to march an army across a lake that might thaw, um, well, yep, I I now have that experience and I'll I'll bear that in mind for future campaigns. Right, yeah. I there is a I'm lot sure of that's how Caesar learned that too, right? Yeah, that's my understanding as well as yeah. during the campaigns in Gaul, there was there was a yeah, really century, just, just a bad incident, yeah. Involving a frozen river or something to that effect. Yeah. Right, yeah, that's, perfect. That's, that's how it's done. That's one history. Nailed it. The the thing I think is good about this is that educational content. We can check that box off now for the podcast, I think. Yes. Uh, (laughs) Is that it? It does care to model weird stuff like that. Like every turn is a piece of a season, right? There's, I don't know, 12 turns a year. Right, right. So Um, three turns, yeah, per season. Like, yeah. And, you know, in the winter phases, you get less income from farms or whatever, right? Or no income. Um, And, you know, depending on who you're playing, different seasons are better for you. So if you're playing as the Druid, you you use money and iron, which are the gold and iron are the two resources that I think I think every single faction uses because every faction can use gold and iron to recruit basic units of some kind. Uh, Yeah. But then. And I say that I think the thing that's great about this game is I haven't played as everybody. And so I say I think because I do think there could be a faction that simply doesn't use those things at all. Maybe the trolls don't care. I'm not sure. Uh, And so. When you use gold and iron to buy stuff, you're recruiting like usually normal humans, right? A human spearman. Right, your spearmen or archers or, yeah. Right. Crossbowmen, right? And so there's this sort of pool of units that most of the factions have in common. Obviously, if you're playing as the kobolds or the bakemonos, you don't have to worry about like recruiting human spearmen for the most part. You might later on, but uh, eventually every faction has access to some sort of extra income of some kind. So for a lot of them, it's like sacrifices, right? You're collecting uh animal and human sacrifices from settlements you've conquered in order to summon monsters that you need to use to fight or you're collecting um as the druid for example herbs from ancient forests of some kind so the druid gets income not from controlling settlements they can control settlements but that's very secondary their real goal is to control as much forest as possible specifically they want to control old ancient uncut forests and you get herbs and you get more herbs in the winter 
or you get more herbs and sorry, you get less herbs in the winter and more herbs in the summer. Whereas if you're playing as the uh, the troll king, for example, you use mushrooms to do your magic. And so you want to con- conquer swamps and you get more mushrooms in the fall when more mushrooms are are spreading. Right. And it's just yeah. those those weird little separate mechanics to interact with, I think, give this game a lot of depth, especially when you think of it as a roguelike. Right. Yeah. The other thing too, is that like you, it's a funny game because those are kind of going on in the background. And so I find myself not really being aware of them all the time. Like there it's, it's more like a, I'll I'll remember after the fact, like, Oh yeah. You know, it's, Oh, it's springtime. So there's more herbs. That's great. Um, So like I'm, there's so much going on that I'm not aware of everything yet. You know, I haven't played enough campaigns to really get that, that this, a, a good sense in my mind of how much is actually happening in the world on every turn. Um, but it, it, but it's neat because you kind of don't have to be, um, you can take advantage of those. If you are aware of them, it's like being familiar with a particular area, or if you, you, you kind of gain a familiarity and then you, you can, you know, take advantage of the things that are there in real life. Um, but you, you can absolutely play this game without knowing all the, uh, you know, how all these things interact and what's going on. It's again, part of that discovery that makes it so cool. It's like, wow, that's been happening this whole time. And now I know, so I can, you know, incorporate that into whatever plans I, uh, you know, create for how I'm going to win this campaign. Yeah, absolutely. And every, every character wins in a different way, right? Wins by executing a different strategy. The only way to win is to eliminate every opponent's uh, group of all their citadels and commanders, right? So they can no longer recruit new commanders uh, or conquer new citadels to recruit from. Um, But what, what even is a citadel for different factions can be different, right? Like a town is not a citadel for the Druid, but an ancient forest is. Right. Yeah. That's, or the, that's the, an interesting thing. Yeah. Yeah. It's sort of these weird basic parts of the parts of the world and the interesting ideas, I guess, like the interesting concepts. It's like, yeah, you're going to engage with different parts of this game, which is overall very complex. But when you're playing as a specific faction, your goals are usually really clear. You know, um, we talked about how much complexity there is in the world kind of being simulated on a turn. Um, And I think it's worth noting where the complexity isn't. And the settlements are one area where I kind of found myself wishing there was more or maybe a matching level because they're pretty static, I find. Yeah. Like there's not much you can do with a castle or a town or, a you know, a... uh, like a kobold lair or something. Right. There's no like upgrade system to conquering things. And kind of you have to get very unattached from most stuff you conquer because there's so many, I mean, like dozens of little wandering independent armies that will just pass through a farm you owned on a turn and they'll just, you don't own it anymore just because some like some deer wandered through, right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Which is a cool part of it. And there are, there are not, there are NPC factions, right? So like, the individual units you find in the world that are independents have a gray background, but then there's also 
uh, blue background, which is like the ruling powers of Elysium, right? Who want to reconquer various stuff. And they've got like watchtowers. And if they control a watchtower, it will spawn units to patrol around and inhabit things. Um, And then there's like, there are demons and the forces of the dead and the horrors from beyond space and time. Like all these groups are different factions that you have to, to deal with on top of the other player factions as it were right that you've put into the world to fight and it's i don't know if you've uh if you've had this experience but i i think the biggest joy i've gotten out of it and the reason i i enjoy it like is just it's just an embrace the chaos kind of game you just have to delight in the insanity um yeah. I, I've only ever tr- like I've played smaller matches of this, like a medium sized map with four enemies on it or what have you. But the times I've had the most fun in this game is just biggest map size, as many people as possible, which is, I believe, one for every faction if you want it to be. Um, and then go. Right. And you'll get random like you'll get, you'll get like a third turn message that another player has been eliminated, probably because they, you know, wandered their army off and got killed by bears. And it's great. I, I love it. <laughs> yeah, that's really neat. And you get a variety of different in-game scenarios from that. It, it yeah, it, it, it's not. Uh, I don't think anybody gets a boost. Um, the the, MP, the uh, AI controlled factions will be more than happy to kill each other off, which is great. Yeah, they're um, great at killing each other off. In fact, they're yeah. they're quite efficient at it. Um, and they'll go for the throat on you too, at the higher difficulties, especially. That I, I, I wanted to ask you about too, because I've only played on some of the lower difficulty just because I kind of wanted to see as much of it as I could. Um, but w- what does, what changes as the, as you, uh, increase the AI difficulty? They get smarter about some of the choices they make. They get a little better at defending their stuff. I don't, I can't say I understand exactly what changes, but I think they probably are getting bonuses behind the scenes um, to make up for sort of their general silliness, right? Like they just are going to make mistakes and get themselves killed in various ways. That really just are. I think once a, once a, a, uh, at least on the levels that I've been playing on, I find that like once a uh, um, AI player gets down to a certain point, like down to one last, you know, army left, the there's some switch flips and it's Leroy Jenkins and they'll attack your uh they'll just throw it at your toughest city. Yeah, they or, absolutely uh, will. <laughs> they'll they'll just do whatever they can to try and win. Um yeah. So it yeah, so looking at it, they they are better at um they get a bonus or penalty to their income and their starting army size depending on the chosen difficulty level as well okay. as you know all their general special resources and such. So a lot of the I've I've found also like when you're it's it's definitely a tweak the settings until you're having fun kind of a game. I don't know if right. that was your experience, but oh sure, yeah. There's there's certain like eras that I find are much more like where it doesn't feel like I'm playing against the other factions so much as I'm trying to survive in a world that just is tilted against me, and that hasn't been super cool because I've it doesn't give me enough time or space to explore this new faction that I'm um, trying to learn. Yeah. Um, but I, I can see it being a lot more fun if I was playing something that I was really you know familiar with and just kind of wanted to explore it and, and do the roguelike thing rather than. So it, you can sort of set the slider between very simplistic total war campaign 
uh, and roguelike and kind of, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, pick a point along that along that continuum that that sort of works. And I think a lot of that is also picking the age versus what character you're playing, like the the Baron, yeah. for example, which relies on like conquering lots of human towns and turning them into little castles uh, does is really hard to play as during the Dark Ages start where it's like prehistory and there are barely any human towns for you to conquer and use as a base you know whereas like i mean i'm sure the senator is the same way like what are you the senator of and who cares like what yeah (laughs) there's nothing before there's there's a structure for you to before there's an empire the senator is not very good (laughs) yeah right (laughs) i imagine it's Um, quite hard i had uh it's that um that age selection, it's the collapse, the um, what's the term for it? It's the age uh, where like there was an empire and then it collapsed and there's this sort of period of the fallen, of the fallen empire, the, the fallen, fallen empire era. Yeah. I started a demonologist um, in that era and that's where there's all kinds of spooky haunted, you know, everywhere is basically a haunted forest. Um, and the I, I started a, a demonologist named him Jeff um, with a G and uh Immediately was killed by beholders on the first turn. So I, I started one named Jeff two and more or less the same thing happened. So I picked a different age and I'm having a great, uh, a nice time as a demonologist now. So, yeah, yeah, but it, but it did. I had to go back to the, uh, what was it sort of the pre empire period to, for that to work? Right. Yeah. There are definitely character and there's, we should talk about this. So this game is not a game about balance in any meaningful way right like a beholder is a horrifying monster that will whoop the ass of a very large army casually right yeah because it you know it can cast like 12 spells a turn or something like that i don't remember exactly how many but it's a lot and it's horrific uh and if you would like to control a beholder you can play as the druid but (laughs) Like I'm, I'm going to have to give that a try. It's fun. You can summon one from the primal dimension plane or whatever, and probably can visit the primal plane somehow, but I don't know how that works. But the, the idea of balance just is not quite there. No, I, I and it's not really because you do, you kind of have to deal with that imbalance at the start uh, and have, you know, have these, these monsters that are completely you know, ridiculous, impossible threats uh, in order for it to get to that snowball point where you're, you're, you're watching your, your own army do the same things later on. Like with a demonologist, um, you, the, so that specifically for this class, what you're collecting is, I think you mentioned before, John, uh, human sacrifices every turn. And that depends on how many small settlements and cities you control. Uh, the more of those you get, the more, um, yeah, the more, human sacrifices are made on a monthly basis. Um, collect enough of them and you can conduct your demonologists uh, specifically can conduct uh, different rituals and those summon. Uh, it's a little finicky because it's, you, you're not sure what kind of demon you're going to be summoning, but you can summon demons of different levels and, um, and you might be able to control them when they show up. You might not. Um, but uh, I'd gotten to a point in the game that I'm playing now where I've got several devils, a storm demon, um, some spine demons, just different kinds of demons I've never heard of. Uh, they uh, and we went up to a, a there must have been 70, 75 kobolds in this army. They had a they had a bile dragon with them as we were trying to conquer the silver mine. 
And, um, and these, these demons can cast spells that just erase huge swaths of the kobold army. And it's great to watch. You just, again, it's not that you have direct control over any of these battles. You just kind of watch this, this ragtag army you've put together uh, go to town on, on a hapless group of little green kobolds. And uh, yeah, it feels good. It does feel good. Yeah, it's really strangely fun and almost uh, like sometimes it feels random, but eventually you start to get control over stuff. You know what I mean? Like you start to really grasp, oh, okay, I need to leave, you know, at at least this many units available in this area so that I can be sure it's well defended, right? You'll conquer. You're like, oh, okay, I got this town. The income from this town is huge. I don't care about all these little farms. I need to make sure I'm concentrating defense around here. Um, And you start to learn what units are very good in a fight and which ones aren't and what the value of stuff is and the the sort of system mastery of the game starts to get really really satisfying yeah hey uh, again it's not like you have super complex decisions to make because it's going to be you know <clears throat> 50 gold's going to buy you uh five archers or five spearmen and right you know, it, it depends on like, well, am I going to leave these guys something? I mean, archers are great to have. Um, I find that they're, I I usually prefer them, but, um, but yeah, if I'm going to leave a garrison someplace, it's like, well, we have walls here. So I'm going to put things on the walls. That's going to be crossbows. Um, and that's about, I don't know that it gets a whole lot more complex than, than that. You could probably tell me more if you've played some of the other classes, but, uh, it's, these are kind of like low bandwidth decisions, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yeah, the the most complex things come down to like army composition once you start to get some weird units. So like I found myself playing as I think it, I don't remember who it was. I, I want to say maybe it was the druid or the senator, but I had all these wizards that were really good at casting like poison spells, but they were a little indiscriminate. So I had to be really careful with what I paired with them, right? Because I noticed in some battles I was killing like more of my own units than the enemy units with because they were getting hit by friendly fire but like paying attention watching some of the complex battles and noticing how they play out is the most complex part of the game for sure and they do throw you some really cool curveballs like i randomly recruited a hero who had a bottle and in the bottle was uh, a living water so at the beginning of every battle he would summon this massive water elemental that would start you know drowning um the front lines of any army i came across it was great unfortunately um this didn't work well with a lot of the demons that i had who were summoning fire elementals little ones that would rush up to the uh, front lines as well and they just get wiped out by the the water elemental when it you know kind of indiscriminately attacked everybody in the front line not so, not ideal, no. Not ideal, but I, it was kind of cost free, uh, added to the pyrotechnics, I guess, of the battle. So I, but um, there's definitely a better way to have you know split my my forces up. So right, yeah. But that I, I wanted to have the the water elemental, so um, I guess I just dealt with that. But there's definitely ways to, I'm sure, kind of control for the fact that uh, yeah, some people will cast spells that are not super accurate and I have like large areas of effect. So, um, you know, 
watch out. And again, you know, you don't really have any uh, direct control over what's happening once the battle begins. So um, it's either a cost that you want to eat or, you know, you've got to find some other solution for it. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Composition, you know, is part of the strategy and disposition. Like, yeah, yeah I'm going to leave this many units behind to defend this this uh you know tower or whatever that i consider strategically valuable but i like that ultimately it's not depending on who you're playing it's not that important you don't have to stress about it like if you don't want to mess with yeah. how do all these weird demons work maybe just play as like the baron and just you know drown the drown the demons in an ocean of heavily armored soldiers and move on with your life um that's You'll, because that's always a solution, right? More guys. It's almost always, always a solution. I totally a, a there, there have been a few. There's a few situations where like specific kinds of horrible monster will require very specific solutions. Um, like sometimes there will be NPC vampires around and vampires are extremely fucking dangerous. Right. So, OK, to kill a vampire, like they've got resistance to almost every damage type. Right. So like if you send a bunch of. Regular ass soldiers to fight a vampire they'll basically always get slaughtered. But as soon as you include like two or three anti-undead spellcasters, you're good to go. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, you, there's like hard counters. Absolutely. Yeah, there will be little hard count. Yes, that's a great way to describe it. Like there's little weird hard counters scattered around in this game that sometimes you'll get taken. You'll get taken by surprise on them. But yeah, the nice thing is. If you lose a midsize army, it's usually not the end of the world once you've gotten yourself established, unlike a total war game where you're like, OK, well, I lost that whole army. I guess the game's over. And like even a yeah, even an army totally filled with, uh, you know, expensive units, it'll suck that you lost it. But sort of just part of the game. And that's, that's another nice thing is that when like I, if, if you're going to start this up for the first time like play on one of the, the really small map sizes, I would say, because you're only really in like campaign start to finish is probably going to take an hour, 90 minutes max. Yes, absolutely. So, yeah, that was one thing that I really did appreciate about this was that like there's not too much invested, like a total war campaign. I, I don't know. I, I could probably count on one hand the number of campaigns I finished across the entire franchise. I burn out like they're, they're they take so long. Yeah, they uh, do that. Yeah. Like once you get crushed, you know, in one big battle, like one you lose one key army. It's like, well, you know what? I don't really want to play this anymore. Right. Uh, I don't I don't want to sit this, here and have this fight with yeah, this, this anymore. I, I guess this is disposable enough. Like, uh, you know, a uh, especially on the smaller maps, it's like you're not you're not losing that much. And and it, I. I guess I'm interested enough in the world to want to at least see how it plays out. And if I lose and get wiped out, that's okay. I'm not going to be mad. Yeah, that's that's a good argument for playing on the smaller maps, uh, as well as for just exploring what you can do rather than stressing about it. You're not going to do it. You can set big, crazy goals for yourself in this game and make your own fun by being like, I'm going to play a demonologist and I'm going to conquer hell. Like I'm going to open a hole into hell and I'm going to conquer every single archdemon fortress I can find in there. Right. That's an option. Right. <laughs> yeah. 
It or, is. you know, like you can make those choices. There are all kinds of little Easter egg hidden bits to do, right? Like when you're playing as a senator, if you take the capital, you can make yourself the emperor, right? And there are steps beyond that. There's an alternate sh- chain as the senator where if you find an opening into not hell, but the underworld, whatever, I'm trying to remember what it's called. There are two different places, yeah. I guess. Um Hades, I think, is what it's called. Instead of, I think, Inferno is where the the demons all come from, and it's filled with and medieval demonology. Like, yeah, yeah. Hades is the realm <laughs> of the dead, and it's filled with like Roman metaphysics, right? Exactly. Because we're putting all the toys in the, uh, you're dumping every toy box out on the floor. You need a different hell for the Roman guys, right? So, but there's a different path to take as the senator if you go and conquer Hades instead, because Hades has a capital too. Wink, nudge, right? There's there's little hidden paths, but they aren't the end all be all in this game. I think you can have a lot of fun just screwing around on small maps, or you can, if you get really into it, go all in on doing wild and crazy buildups and pulling off strange combos and, you know, summoning Cthulhu from the bottom of the ocean and devouring the earth. Right. Like both of these things are something you can do in this video game. Yeah. No, it's a, it's a matter of like, are you up for a campaign that's going to be 40 turns or, you know, a couple hundred, I mean, or, or more, you know, I, I, I honestly don't know what the upper limit is. Um, The medium size or large map that I'm on now, I've, I think I've sat down and played, you know, three or four sessions with, and it's not, I think we're, we're basically down to two big powers. So it's me and, and whoever it's the, it's the sky kobolds. That's uh, who I, I still got to take out. Um, but, and that's been, you know, that's been a couple hours. So uh, yeah, you, you can modulate the, uh, the size and, and scope of what you want to do based on like the kind of time commitment you want to put into a, uh, campaign, which is really nice, like not having to commit to, you know, nine or 12 or 15 hours for a campaign is is kind of liberating. It is. Yeah, it absolutely is. And it's it's ephemeral, I guess, compared to really committed strategy games. And it's that's really nice. I don't feel it bad is. when I lose in this. Right. I don't feel like I lost a ton of time, which is pleasant. No, it's it's very much like I. Uh, hmm. Yeah. What's we need a we need a word for this because casual is not the not it. Like it's definitely not a casual game. No, it's not a casual. It feels yeah. More, it feels more like playing a casual game than you know all the things you need to learn. If you were to like say, if you wanted to play Total War for the first time, like there's a lot you need to learn. And in Congress of Elysium, there's a lot going on, but relatively very little to actually have to. Uh, you know, sort of internalized just to be able to start taking turns and having a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that, that's uh, I. So, how do you feel overall about this one? That's a pretty good summary. I feel like the investment is low to start taking turns and having a good time. Yeah, you know. Okay, so a little bit b- before we started recording, I think we we talked a little bit, and I I there are. Definite times when I feel like this is like just a really fun experience, and uh, and, and I'm, I'm 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 honestly kind of torn because the, the, I alluded to it earlier, but there's there's levels of detail. There's there's parts of the game where I feel like I 
like I want to be more involved in making certain decisions, like what happens with my city. Um, I wish there were different, maybe more resources to be managing. I wish the the decision about which units to recruit was a little bit more interesting sometimes. But um, but you know, turn by turn, it's it's engaging and 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 it's it does have that one more turn feel that. I think we talk about, especially with things like Civ, there, there's enough to keep pulling me along um, every time. So yeah, I, I'm, I feel very warmly about this game. I don't know that I'm going to like, you know, give it a strong recommendation or anything, but it's a, it's a really cool little thing. Yeah, it is. It's, it is very much a game that uh, has to be tried to understood to a certain extent, but I think a lot of people, you look at this and you can tell whether you'll enjoy it or not based on just the visuals of the thing. Um, yeah. And <laughs> if if you think this might appeal to you, maybe give it a shot. And I do, I like, if this, if you've liked this series in the past, but you're skeptical about buying a new entry because they are very iterative designs. So each new one doesn't reinvent anything it just adds stuff i do like the new layers in this one there's sort of naval aspect where you can actually like get boats and travel across water uh i like these things it makes some of the maps a lot more dynamic and interesting and i do enjoy what it gives to the the series as a whole uh and i just i like the idea that in the same game i can be a horde of idiot kobolds and also a druid whose army is composed of nothing but mooses and also a cool Roman legionary dude. Uh, that appeals to me yeah. in a sort of fundamental way. Or, or, or you could be a, 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 is it true? Maybe, I don't know. Are they in this one or just in dominions? There's like a, a well in dominion, there is a, a race of merfolk, but I don't think they're in conquest of Elysium. No, there's no Merfolk anyway. in Conquest. There's just the Cthulhu cultists who can summon an army okay. of weird deep ones and fish people. There we go. Totally. So perfect. But yeah, uh, just kind of that I think just supports your point. There's a big diversity of ways to play this game and and ways to role play the uh, different factions, too. So, yeah, it's a curiosity, I think. But uh, it's a it's a really it's a real pleasant diversion once you, I think, get over some of the fuzz, like the weird idiosyncrasies of the control scheme and UI. Um, it's it's a good time. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, if you are really interested in games you can control with your numpad, perhaps you should give Conquest of Elysium a try. But that's going to do it for this week. Three Moves Ahead is hosted on the Idle Thumbs Network. You can learn more and join the discussion on the forums at idlethumbs.net slash 3MA or find us on Twitter where we are at 3MA. Lastly, Three Moves Ahead is supported by listeners just like you on Patreon. You can head over to patreon.com slash 3MA to find out about how to get access to our super secret Discord server where we discuss things broadly. But generally, they're about strategy games. We'll be back next week with another episode. And until then, for myself and Ian, this is John signing off.